Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Vry, they, them. And with me, as always, is Dorothy, who's she, her. And we have finally done it. After running this show for nearly four years, more than four years? A while. This is our hundredth episode. We did it. Yeah, this is our hundredth normal episode. That's excluding drunk book clubs and so crows. We'll, we'll give you the main episode up front and then get you know a little touchy-feely once we're done. For anybody who is new, welcome and it won't feel so weird. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. But we did want to pick something a little bit special and so we went to one of Dorothy's childhood favorites that she's been trying to get me to watch all the way through successfully for a long time. Yep. Right, why don't you explain that? <laughs> uh, so we picked 1985's Return to Oz, a.k.a. the movie that inspires exactly two reactions, Shit Your Pants Terror or Undying Love. And I was the former. <laughs> there used to be a local tape shop in my town because that's how old I am. And I got the movie. I don't know why, because despite being somebody who uh, was a latchkey kid who watched rogers and hammerstein musicals on tape because i didn't have any friends i really don't like the original wizard of oz movie all that much outside of margaret hamilton i would have thought you'd be like a friend listen i do support dorothy (laughs) but for whatever reason i ended up renting the pseudo sequel we'll get into that and made it exactly as far as the wheelers before i noped the fuck out and never tried again (laughs) You watched this as a kid, right? Oh, yes. So you may have noticed that my name is Dorothy. (laughs) And yet, despite this, you do not loathe this series on sight. I do not. I do loathe jokes about my name related to the Wizard of Oz series, the Oz books. But when I was a kid, I was a really sort of voracious reader. First of all, I was born at exactly the right time that my family purchased the 50th anniversary tape edition of the original Wizard of Oz. But my sort of enduring interest in in the series has more to do with my grandpa. Because over the years, because I was a big reader, he got me like the Dover Books reprints of all of the bomb authored entries in the series, the first 14. After that, they switched authors, and there's been text analysis run on them and stuff, so we know exactly where he stopped writing them. Oh, but for this was one of those V.C. Andrews cases where they tried to pass it off as manuscripts found in a trunk? Kind of, yeah. Gotcha. And he, he was always a little bit sort of Conan Doyle-style bitter, that no, no kids wanted him to write about any of the other wonderful fairylands he'd come up with. So I read the books as a kid, and I always had them on my shelf. And then also, my grandfather also lived out in the desert with a 15-foot-wide satellite dish. Like, it had its own special concrete platform. And he would tape things off TV. So a few times a year, he'd just send us packages of tapes. Or when he would visit, he'd bring boxes of tapes. He did not edit out the commercials. Well, no, that's very important. The commercial (laughs) experience. Uh Uh-huh. Now, he did also have HBO and stuff, so sometimes there were no commercials, and that was a very special treat. But mm. I, the art of uh, fast-forwarding through commercials was a science back then. I don't think we've ever shown our age as much as we are going to in this episode. <laughs> he was also the guy who used stencils to uh, very precisely label the tapes. Oh. And also, of course, you know, I was also of age to be renting tapes from the local... Uh, establishments and that's i do feel for you with regards to having been scared having had the pants scared off of you as a small child by a movie because when i was little this definitely happened where my mom found a cartoon about cute bunnies at uh, the errol's video and brought it home and plopped me down in front of it because let's get have the four or five year old sit there and watch that while i vacuum the house so she'll be out of trouble. And Watership Down happened. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that I found extremely upsetting when you showed it to me as, as an, an adult. adult. <laughs> Which, to be fair, was also true of this movie. <laughs> this is an upsetting film. So you got this one from your grandpa. 
Yeah. Yeah, and had it on tape. And I watched it a lot. Of course, you also love the craft, so. <laughs> this is considerably before that. Well, yes, but you know, Baby Feruza Balk. Baby Feruza Balk and Grown Feruza Balk. Just always doing movies with witches. Yeah, This is an interesting little oddity as a filmmaking production. So it comes out in 1986. Or, you came out in 1986. I this did. movie came out in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> and it was officially made by Disney. And do you know why this movie was made, made by Disney? Well, I would assume they made it to try and extend their copyright because they're Disney. Uh Uh-huh. No, that's exactly why. Okay. Yeah, because the books were officially public domain at this point, but they wanted to keep their cold and bitter grasp on it. And they skated around a lot of conflict with MGM. Yeah, I was going to say, the original was MGM. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's not of the original book. It's... A mashup of two of the sequels, the first two sequels. Mm-hmm. They had to pay like an exorbitant licensing fee for, to get the red, the ruby slippers, since those are MGM. made up for the film. Yeah, yeah. In the book, they were the silver shoes, which I guess they decided was the one piece of iconography they absolutely had to have. And it might just be the work of the wiki editor, but I sense a powerful bitterness behind the note that they had to pay <laughs> so much money. <laughs> For these damn shoes. I think you could have done something really neat with silver shoes on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could have made them look really cute. But Pro- then again, I am the only person who cares about that. I can see, marketing aside, I can see why they wanted red just because of the color palette of the film overall. Uh, yeah. Silver yes. probably wouldn't have popped so much. Well, and also, especially if you're doing a color picture in 39, mm-hmm. you want something that will pop off the screen, not something that could be rendered just as well. In black and white. Mm. I meant for the sequel, but yeah. you're right. I bet that's why it but, came I mean, to be in I, the first place. I think that's probably the reasoning behind originally. So the director of this movie, this is his only directing job ever uh-huh. in his entire career. Uh-huh. So it's Walter Murch, who is actually a big deal mm-hmm. in sound editing. He like pioneered this method using cello tape when they were still cutting film directly mm-hmm. to sort of preserve it. And he... uh he did some recutting and editing and sound editing for THX 1138. Uh. And he worked on Apocalypse Now. Dude has some Lifetime Achievement Awards for sound editing. He was a big deal on that front. And he also, I think, co-wrote the script of uh, 1138 with hmm. Lucas. Which, Lucas is actually the reason he got all the way to the completion of shooting for really? this movie. Yeah, because he, wor- he went to work at first, and got fired almost immediately. Why? Uh, I guess they just didn't like the dailies. What, because they were pants-wettingly terrifying? So George Lucas had to come in and be like, no, 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 let him finish. Look, if he continues to suck real bad, I'll finish it for you. And, you know, and this is the man who's made a Star War. And then you can market it as a George Lucas film. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was a an acceptable fail-safe. All on his own, merch just came to the 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 disney people um yeah he just came to disney's production chief and was like i would like to make an oz film and it happened to be right around the time that producers were like we need one of these to hold on to this particular copyright which is the same thing they're doing with superhero movies now yep mouse <sighs> fucked up the copyright system also Fuck weirdly, the house of mouse yep i feel like that's something we can always continually reinforce in our work <laughs> also co-writes the screenplay with Gil Dennis, who is this British guy who has done four or five screenplays, basically, his entire career. And his last one is Walk the Line. Huh. Right? It's weird. Not to be confused with Walk Hard. Very different. Not really very different. Not really very different. Walk (laughs) Hard is superior, though. And it's produced by Paul Mark Maslonsky, the guy who's best known for Police Academy. Wow. This movie's weird. Who is in charge of the effects, though? Because I really like some of the effects in this. I'm not sure about specifically the effects department, but there's clearly a lot of involvement from the Henson Creature Workshop. Yeah. Between the puppets and the fact that Brian Henson plays Jack Pumpkinhead. Yeah. And there are, and two other voice actors go on to appear in Labyrinth. And this is sort of that missing stare between Labyrinth and, uh dark crystal 
mm. in the sort of dark fantasy weird shit from the 80s. This is part of that 80s dark fantasy live action stuff. Legend too, speaking legend. of Tim Curry. Yeah, legend, never ending story, mm-hmm. which I watched a lot. Except for Labyrinth, which I saw as a teenager. Those were all movies I mostly came to appreciate as an adult since I was such a scaredy cat when I was young. Yeah, whereas I just had the good fortune to have them on tape because of this weird circumstance of my grandpa living out in the desert in New Mexico (laughs) with a satellite dish. Do you want to know how much this movie costs to make? Oh, God. (laughs) It's not that much, except that for 80s money, it's kind of a lot. 28 million. That seems steep, but also like within the bounds of having pretty good effects and a fairly decent, like high B grade cast. Not bad, right? Yeah. yeah, this cast is full of high-caliber Shakespeare Brits. Yeah. By the way, the guy who uh, plays the Gnome King. Yeah, that's Nicole Williamson. Uh-huh. Played everybody. He played Sherlock Holmes one time. Apparently his turn as Macbeth in like this seven, this early 80s film production is beloved. So a lot of money goes into stretching the ca- stretching the effects as far as we can and some of it still looks quite good yeah and also this pretty star-studded cast and then they made 11.1 million total box office ouch less than three million opening weekend ouch yeah because it doesn't look like the mgm one i would bet yes that is entirely it so many times i remember people being like but why is she a little girl in this and it's because First of all, Judy wasn't supposed to play the role to start with. They wanted Shirley, but they couldn't get a trade to because get of the Shirley. Studio system. So they used Judy, and she, even though she was like aging out of the role. I mean, it's not a super physical role for Dorothy in terms of stunts in that movie, but it still feels like that would be hard filming with your chest bound. Yeah, probably. And I'm not even saying this was a bad decision, because let's face it, If that was one of the things included in the animal crackers in your soup thing, I would not have watched it. I don't enjoy Shirley Temple's preciousness. Judy was good. But, like, The Wiz also aged the character up in order to cast who they wanted. And so this is a thing that sort of continuously was happening with The Wizard of Oz to the point where it's very easy to forget that Dorothy is supposed to be a little girl. Which makes more sense. Like, around ten. Like, once you told me that, I was like, oh, that makes more Yeah. This, suddenly, all of this whimsy is much more sensible. Yeah. It's a fairy tale for little children in America. One more thing about merch I feel as though you should know is one of the sources listed for, like, research he did to kind of get the vibe of the the Kansas era stuff Mm -hmm. was a book called Wisconsin Death Trip which was about like poverty in the Midwest and a series of photos from mm. the late 20th century. Wow. Dark. Yep. Allow me to show you the cover of this book. Wow. That is straight up the font from Sandman. Uh-huh. Oh boy. Suddenly explains so much about those extremely terrifying early film portions. <laughs> I will say looking at even just brief Googling around about the critical reception to this movie is very, very odd to me because I had never heard of this movie in any other terms than like adoration. (laughs) And that really scary movie. Oh yeah. Terror and adoration. Either it's the movie you weren't brave enough to get through as a kid, or it's that great weird movie that you absolutely loved as a kid and you'd felt like you shouldn't have gotten away with watching. But it's got a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of the Wikipedia and a lot of articles around it talk about it in terms of this is a failed film. Hmm. And there's something in the air, apparently, because I came across at least two different things from the last couple of months that were like, Here's why this movie was good, actually. And I'm like, what is this conversation? It's an experience that I don't think I've had in a while with, like, the globalization of the three websites on the internet era. Right. In that this feels a very subculture versus culture at large shock. Because, again, this movie is beloved by goths and nerds. And yet, it apparently, we are regarding this as 
a film that needs defending as good, actually. But again, as someone who read the books, I actually was quite fond of this more so than the 39 version. Yeah, I, I feel like that's because you know so much about the book. So I think it might be interesting for you to tell folks maybe the overall vibe of them compared to the 39 version and then like what they took for that that's a little bit more accurate to them for the this one for Return to Oz. So with the 39 one, first of all, they cut out huge chunks of the travel sequences from the book. There are entire areas of Oz that they went to in the book that just aren't there. You know, they were cut for time and to streamline the plot and everything. It's understandable. But there's a huge amount of information that was just subtracted out of there. And this movie, I feel, is an oddity because it sort of proceeds from the books rather than from the cultural sort of osmosis that's been reached by the 39 film which is just so omnipresent i feel like it's kind of inescapable for that to be a lot of people's general understanding of what oz is like mm-hmm. is just this sort of slice of one of the books the books tend to be weirder and darker in very odd ways partly because like Something will be tossed off in the world building that, you know, the children who are the intended readers of these books are not supposed to unpack that much. But once you do unpack it, it becomes subtly horrifying. Like it stops being funny and becomes just horrifying and then goes back around to funny again. Like the fact that, just as an example, so the Tin Man, his backstory, which he does have, is that he was just a regular woodcutter. And he fell in love with this girl whose mom was a witch. And the witch cursed his axe so that he kept cutting pieces of himself off and having them replaced by a tinsmith. And finally he cut off every single piece of himself. And the last part he cut off was his head. And the tinsmith replaced his head. But he couldn't feel love for the girl anymore because he had no heart. It was actually because he was a different person now because the ship of Theseus. And this is a ship of Theseus solve. Because later on, the pieces of his body are used and combined with the pieces of another guy's body to create a zombie man that the chick marries. Okay. All right. And they all lived happily ever after. I guess if everybody is happy in this arrangement, then it's fine. Uh Uh-huh. Like, okay. Yeah, because, oh yeah, corpses don't die (laughs) in Oz. But yeah, this is just the kind of shit that is tossed off in there because it's wacky. Uh-huh. The kind of shit that Gaiman then uses in very serious and grim ways. Gaiman or um, American McGee type shit. I feel like Alice bore the brunt of that for decades. Yeah. But it's that same kind of thing where there's your nonsense fairy tales for children that also have weird shit happening in them. Pratchett's probably the closest to actually capturing that spirit directly for adults, I'd say. Mm. In terms of like... It runs on fantasy logic. Right. Fuck you. We well, and, and also that weird, then horrifying, then weird, funny again. Piers Anthony, curse be his name, really tried to achieve that with his Xanth books, but he doesn't succeed for many reasons. <laughs> I was gonna say, is how much Not of that is because the, the pedophilia because he's got a in the way? Creep is a large part of it, <laughs> and he's incapable of not being horny and misogynistic at any point. Fucking Piers Anthony. Where there's just wacky fantasy logic driving this place. Ho, 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 isn't it funny? Mm -hmm. But it's not really funny when it's written for adults. Yeah, it's a harder, it's one of those beguiling things that's harder to pull off than it seems. Because most of Anthony's stuff, you know, then ventures right into questions. Is that rape, though? I'm pretty sure that's rapey. (laughs) This seems bad. This doesn't have any of that. (laughs) Uh Because it's for children and it's nice. Well, and I think one thing people so often don't get about fantasy is that it does have to have its own internal logic. Mm-hmm. It's just not an immediately obvious real world logic. Yeah. Why is the solution chicken? Chicken. Because, because chicken. chicken. Yeah. So now we should talk about the plot, I guess. And, and we can pepper in the books. Uh-huh. Yes. This takes place. We will pepper in the fact that Osmus trans. So this technically takes place after the book, The Wizard of Oz. And I want to say that there have been other, there's at least one other major work. Yes. Hmm. So this is 
in many ways, a mashup of content from The Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. But a lot of the sort of political situation and everything in Oz has been has been changed in such a way that clearly the major events of The Marvelous Land of Oz, where Oz's princess returns, have just happened off screen. And some of the characters have been transposed into Dorothy's because the Marvelous Land of Oz was Ozma's story. And then we came back to Dorothy. I think it's incidental, but it is interesting that there was a film between the Wizard of Oz and this, which I don't know how much this movie is admitting it exists or just not being bothered because this is the next Dorothy book. So that's the easiest to adapt. But Wonderful Wizard of Oz Wonderful Land. There we go. Wonderful Land of Oz did get a 1969 adaptation, which you can watch on Amazon Prime Rift by Mike Delson and the bots who are not, you know. Not bots anymore, but like. (laughs) Still. I remember watching that Rift was really interesting because I was sitting there going, oh yeah, this is a really accurate adaptation of the Marvelous Land of Oz. And I was sitting there like, what the fuck is this? Why is there a small boy who is going off to, to... facilitate his own death. What What is with this army of suffragettes? What? With pins. <laughs> it was very odd. It's very odd. Deeply like, watchable. It, it is extremely odd, though, if you're not familiar with the fact that that's shit that happens in the books. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the... I don't know if it's just because the movie is so old or if it's production and, like, all the, you know, the wonderful flats and just the grandiosity of that production but there's something classier seeming about wizard of oz as a film (laughs) that makes its weirdness seem less so and i think to an extent cultural osmosis is part of it because flying monkeys are silly Mm -hmm. flying monkeys are silly the fact that the lion is just a guy in a ridiculous suit with curls Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's funny this movie kind of goes in the opposite direction in terms of the uh non-human characters it really tries to wherever possible render the characters like illustrations and like non-human creatures not like humans dressed up as stuff it's got a lot of puppetry Mm -hmm. yeah and the puppetry because of the henson involvement i assume has almost a stop motioniness in places that makes it kind of uncanny and cool yeah so yeah, uh, Dorothy came back from Oz, and she has PTSD, and nobody will acknowledge what's happening. And it's kind of, is kind of buying into that aspect of the MGM production where they did the, she just got bumped on the head and it was a hallucination thing. The first Fight Club excuse, if you will, <laughs> because it was all just a dream thing was not a thing in the books. No, no. She went to a magical land and she had adventures. She very literally did. So, but this is sort of leaning into her family thinks she's ill mm-hmm. and sends her to a sanitarium. That's not in the book. Th- this very disturbing opening sequence, not in the book. It's so upsetting. <laughs> and I can see why they have it because it's in keeping with the film where all of the actors in the sanitarium double as people in Oz. It's that very traditional kind of working through your real life issues in a fantastical way a la alice a la double casting in alice in wonderland usually Mm -hmm. yeah or peter pan so like respect but it is terrifying it (laughs) did scare the shit out of me yeah the beginning of this movie is very disturbing just in terms of ableism and the Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the trauma that's being depicted and it's not that the film is ableist it's that it's depicting you know, therapeutic abuse and... Yeah, and there's just, I think, a very potent fear, especially when you're a child, that your parent is going to take you to this place and leave you, and they will do things to you and you will have no say over it. Yeah, well, and also that you'll that you'll be telling your parents something and they don't believe you. Mm-hmm. These are all very real experiences. There's a flood in the night and Dorothy escapes along with a chicken on a little raft and float stars because they are going to river. lobotomize her no no they were going to electrocute her excuse me and it looked like tiktok so and then she floats off to oz in the night and arrives there in the book she was actually 
going to Australia with her uncle um, because the farm was failing in both of these, mm-hmm. you know, in the aftermath of the tornadoes and all. But yeah, she was going to Australia with her uncle and she gets washed overboard. So how much is that real world subtext a factor in the books in terms of just like actual depression the farm, era? The farm does get repossessed at the end, but for most of it, the books were written really before the depression. But the farm does, in the books, eventually get repossessed and they end up moving all the way to Oz, all of them. Oh, let's see. First, they have to go through... The, the sands that will turn them into sand if they right. touch it. You gotta play hopscotch over the deadly sands. And the deadly desert does surround Oz. We do- we just didn't see it before because she landed directly in Oz. Right, she went over it in, in the hurricane. And then she gets to the city where she runs into the wheelers, which are terrifying, and gets saved by TikTok. Yes. And again, because this is sort of a mashup of two of the Oz books... TikTok's from a third one, isn't he? No, no, TikTok's from this, but it's kind of weird because it's mashed up the problems of the Kingdom of Ev, which is where she lands in when she gets back to Oz, to Fairyland, with the peril that's happened to Oz. Because in Ozma of Oz, Dorothy, again, gets swept overboard with Belina and ends up here. And she actually meets up with Ozma and Ozma's team, who are all trying to help the royal family of Ev. Whereas for plot convenience, it's instead turned into Dorothy arrives in Oz and all the people of Oz are in peril. Because you don't want to introduce two kingdoms for your your one movie. And that's, a, yeah, it makes sense Yeah, to streamline it. And having co-leads would be weird if nobody's ever seen one of them before. Mm-hmm. Ozma does appear pretty early in this, but as a sort of mysterious guide character. Yeah. By the way, apparently she had a double. Feruza Balk had to do her own stunts. <laughs> this child. It's no wonder she got out of acting, honestly. <laughs> I think she still like dabbles and shit, but I just want to go to her witch store. Me too. Post-plague to-do list. And TikTok is our, co- well, he's, I'm sort of struggling not to do the thing. The one-to-one. You- uh-huh. Because yeah. it's not a, it's not really. Yeah, there is an animal companion, and it's Belina instead of Toto. Is Toto the only one who doesn't talk? Is Toto, Toto just not cool enough to talk? Toto just doesn't talk. Eureka the kitten talks. She's a little shit, I love her. Amazing. She appears in uh, Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Can't believe you were denied a cute little shit of a kitten. Feel cheated. I guess cats are hard to herd. There's a whole saying about that. <laughs> But Belina's good chicken, and I love her. She is. She's good chickens. She is always looking for a place to lay her egg. She's a cute little red hen who clucks. She clucks, and they seem, except for a couple shots, they, they do seem to mostly use a real chicken on set. Yeah, it, it's pretty funny. Just because occasionally out. there will be a stuffed chicken there, but or like a puppet chicken craning its head around. And then it sort of bobs its head, and the voice of the junk lady from Labyrinth comes out. Sounding exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like, you do expect her to ask Dorothy if, if she wants her old bear. <laughs> I love your bear. <laughs> TikTok has a very, uh, a very Discworldian sort of vibe. TikTok is great and fun. If you were doing, if you were trying to do a one-to-one, it would sort of seem like... He would be the, tin, be man, the tin Man, but, but I think he's more of the cowardly lion. similar to the Cowardly Lion. But yeah, he is the Royal Army of Oz. All by himself. All by himself. He's just one. We don't need that big of an army. Which, to be fair, until he winds down, he is quite efficient. Yes, he is a marvelous mechanical man who has to be wound up. And if he winds down, he stops. Because he is clockwork. Um, and then the, Dorothy, in running away with TikTok, they go to the castle to see what, what on earth is up. And Dorothy tries to eat a lunch pail. Which is fruit. cute. It's adorable. Oh my god, I love the lunch pail fruit. They're so beautifully designed. I would love to make one of those for myself to, like, take lunch in. The set, the sets in general are, for the fact that they're supposed to be, you know, derelict-looking, they're quite beautiful. Yeah, it's really gorgeous set design. And and uh, then the most terrifying scene in the movie happens. Yes. Uh, it, this is not just some trees throwing apples back at you. No. You're in the jungle now, bitch. You're gonna die. <laughs> Heads. Oh, yeah, because I thought the wheelers were the scariest thing. No, the I was wrong. The wheelers come and 
chase Dorothy, and she is captured. It's very exciting. By Princess Mombi, who is also a composite character, yes? Yes. Um, they've combined Princess Languidere with Mombi the Witch. In, in the book, Princess Languidere, who is the one who has all the heads, is just kind of a lazy asshole who doesn't want to be in charge of anything, but she's the only one who hasn't been kidnapped from her family. So sometimes she has to spend as much as 15 minutes a day not looking at herself. The horror. And, and it's absolute hell. So she's quite happy, actually, for Dorothy to deal with this problem. Gotcha. Which is very good, but not so much a good forward momentum character for your film. Yeah, she, she's an asshole, but but they've combined her with Mombi, the witch, who is the one responsible for the disappearance of Ozma in the Land of Oz. And she raised a boy named Pip. Oh, she's the... Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. And yeah, now yeah, you're remembering yeah, yeah, from yeah. the other movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's who Mombi is. <laughs> okay. She got turned to stone. It's all coming back to me now. Yep. Except that this lady is, I guess, planning to keep Dorothy in a room for however many years because fairy tale logic until she can chop off her head and add it to her wall. Yes, because this lady has a collection of heads for every possible mood or occasion. It's Yeah, uh, she, she just takes off a head and pops on a new one. It's, um, it's very good. It's very well done. The cabinets with heads in them just sort of sitting there blinking and her little ri- ruby key. <laughs> the composite work that must have been used to put it together is honestly breathtaking. That scene still looks good. Yeah. And we watched, uh, you know, we watched a streaming version of this that I, I imagined had to have been cleaned up to an extent. But honestly, I'm shocked at how good this movie still looks for $28 million. Yeah. And it's still got a little bit of that 80s grain and, you know, I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been 35 years. I, I mean, and honestly. And Balk is very good in this. She's not just bringing alarm or preciousness. She's been giving very stilted dialogue, but she delivers it real ably. She's not precious. She's also not a brat. She's just kind of a nice kid. Yeah. Kind of Phineas and Ferb energy. Well, this is ridiculous, in it, but it's happening, so. Yeah, there's just something very likable about her performance. Like, you can see see how she how she really made a, a niche for herself as a child star it's good i think that's part of what anchors this film so well is, is that she just feels believable among all of the puppets and stuff yeah it's very surprising how natural she's able to act when frequently she's the only human on set mm-hmm. and this was her first role too was it this was before the worst, worst witch? witch yeah huh. yeah so like this is a heck of a start yeah Good, good job, Furzabalk. I really do want to go to that shop. Yeah, see, she she bought the shop from the craft. That warms my heart. <laughs> oh, the craft. Someday we'll get around to watching that terrible sequel. <sighs> For another day. And so it, it is up in her imprisonment that she discovers Jack Pumpkinhead. So Jack Pumpkinhead is looking for a mom because Ozma's not there. So he decides to accept Dorothy as interim mom, which is pretty cute. Honestly. Jack Pumpkinhead's dad is Pip, who was Mombi's ward. Whittled Jack and dressed him up in some cast-off clothing for the purpose of freaking Mombi out as a prank. And so Mombi decided to execute Pip. So Pip took the powder of life from Mombi, sprinkled some on on Jack Pumpkinhead, and set out and they set out to find their fortune. And now Pip is Ozma. Yes, you know, Dorothy and, and her little trans girlfriend. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. They're besties. They're the two princesses. But yes. Oz- the gallant of pals. And Pip is, in fact, Ozma. Now, if I if I get this correctly, Oz- uh, Pip was always Ozma, and she just forgot that she was Ozma for a time? Um, she was kidnapped as a baby. Right. And, um, Mombi apparently spelled on a dick. It's unclear. All right. But at the end of the book... Pip goes into a magic mirror and comes back and is like, oh, right, I, I'm <laughs> I'm in charge of this shit. Right. And the rest of Oz's royal family was killed off? It's unclear. I can't remember that specifically, but yeah, she's the last. And she's our child ruler because it's fairy tales. It's fine. Yeah. Like, you can't do anything much bad. But that's also why the wizard 
was able to step in and take over the country is because there was a power vacuum and his balloon had OZ written on it. Uh, and those were his initials. But everybody thought, oh shit, he must be in charge of this. I understand so much. Yeah. So do Dorothy and, and Jack ever actually interact in the books, or is this just a, uh, a a mushing thing? They do interact, but it is a mushing thing. Yeah, so in this case, Dorothy agrees to adopt him so that they can escape together, basically. And he is head empty. No thought. Well, on account of his head being rotting. Yep, it is a rotting pumpkin. No magic. Ozma has to periodically, you know, carve a new one for him. That That is one of those delightful unlogic things where like, yes, obviously it brought him to life, but, you know, pumpkins rot. Mm-hmm. Dorothy and Jack put together some sofas and the head of a stuffed beast called a gump into a wonderful flying machine that is very haphazardly attached and frequently falling apart. And, and extremely existential extreme, about it. Yeah, very not happy, actually, about being expected to move around. It curses God for uh, for its existence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gump does not value its life. How yeah. dare you? The gump also comes from the land of Oz. Mm. It's, it's one of Pip's traveling companions. Mm. Really just ate that book, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that we don't get to meet uh, Professor H.M. Wogglebug T.E., who is a Wogglebug that became highly magnified during an, an an experiment where a school teacher was just demonstrating magnification to his students and everybody freaked out and ran away so the wogglebug was left magnified oh no because that's how that works obviously and the te stands for thoroughly educated because he was a wogglebug who lived in the school so he knows so much this tracks as they are running away they happen to run afoul of the person or the things that are actually chasing them, which is, of course, the Gnome King, because he heard they have a chicken, which is the only thing that can kill him and end his rule over Oz. Yes. And I like how, how the Gnome King and his subjects are represented. They're like little cracks in the rock. It's great. It's really good and very unsettling. Yeah, just these little animated cracks in the rock. It's kind of like the um the hand things in the oubliette sequence of the labyrinth, only mm. more so. Yeah, and there's... A wonderful understated sense of progression as once he captures Dorothy and starts taking out her friends becomes more and more pronounced and human-like out of the rock. And Nicole Williamson is very good selling the hell out of it. He's a real Michael Caine in a Muppet Christmas Carol uh -huh. situation. Yeah. <laughs> I love children's movies grounded by very serious actors <laughs> who are just absolutely refusing to wink. No, it's they are here and they're terrifying. It's so much funnier when people don't wink at the camera. It's crucial. Of course, he, he has put upon her a technically not rigged game where if she goes into this room and finds a person from Oz who has been transformed into a magical ornament, then the spell will be broken. But gosh, which one? There are so many. My God, it must have taken days to put that room together. Mm-hmm. And... TikTok goes in to look for one, and he, he's, he runs down. Or he pretends, very cleverly. To buy some time. And Dorothy figure, manages to figure out that uh, all of the people from Oz are green. Again, this was originally um, the royal family of the Kingdom of Ev. So the green were, makes more different sense? It wasn't that. Gotcha, it was just a different thing. It was just totally by accident she manages to find somebody. But again, the royal family of Ev are related to Princess Languideer, the chick with the heads. She, she wants them back. So she doesn't have to do it anymore. Right. So she can, you know, focus on updating her Instagram posts and shit. It really is a shame that nobody has done like a Coraline style Oz film. There have been um, some graphic novels that sort of leaned into that style. Hmm. It seems but, very fitting. Yeah. Within the last... 10 years there were some um, graphic novels that are extremely faithful recrea recreations with that sort of soft creepy style nice, nice. I, I wouldn't wish a, a Coraline style uh, adaptation on it though I don't want there to be a random boy inserted to save uh, Dorothy's ass she can do that herself <laughs> oh fucking YB I fucking hate YB it's okay. and like there are Oz books that have boys in them mm -hmm. there are multiple 
Not <laughs> Pip is not a boy, first of all, but mm-hmm. also there are bo- Oz books with boys in them. It's not that there shouldn't be boys here. It's that I dislike the injection of a boy. <laughs> in a girl's story. Yeah, in the narrative. That is all about her being clever and saving herself. Sorry, rant over. It's okay, though, because Dorothy does, in fact, save the day, and then the movie becomes deeply terrifying. Yes. Even as an adult. It decides to scare the shit out of everybody again. Because the Gnome King is pissed. You weren't supposed to win. And then he just melts. He just melts on camera, and the world becomes hell. The chicken lays an egg in his mouth. Because chicken. Because chicken. And she was very scared. Because, as we all know, light is stored in barrels. You pick off meat off the floor. Goats are light sources. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, chickens will save the day. Yeah, the chicken lays an egg in in the Gnome King's mouth and he's like, oh, fuck. And explodes. Violent. And it is. Like full-on lava and shit. Very upsetting to look at. And he made some points, though, about what assholes people are for stealing all of his gems. Yeah, the later books sort of went back on the whole um, Emerald City is bullshit thing. Aw. The Emerald City in the later books is really made out of emeralds. As opposed to the green glasses. Yeah. That was just because, you know, the wizard was a shitty regent. <laughs> and gotcha. a con artist. <laughs> Honestly, you should always picture the wizard as Frank from Always Sunny. Done. That's, yeah. He's way like better. family-friendly version. <laughs> I mean, that's way better than him being, who the fuck was it? RDJ? James Franco? One of those. Benedict Cumberbatch, I don't know. One of those vaguely sweaty noodle men. With the same energy as uh, Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter. I endeavored to forget that movie as quickly as possible. Gosh, this, you know, The Wizard of Oz is an intensely fuckable being. That's a movie we need to see. But there have been so fucking many versions of The Wizard of Oz done that felt the compulsive need to age Dorothy up so that they could include romantic tension and shit. Which... And I dislike it intensely. She's a little girl. Mm -hmm. Leave it the fuck alone. Stop doing this shit where actually it was edgy and she just didn't understand as a child. So you're saying people would have to pay us a lot of money to get you to finally read Wicked. I tried to read Wicked once. I mean, it's not related to this conversation at all, because Gregory Maguire has very clearly not read the books. He, it, it is clearly just edgy fanfic of the 39 film. <laughs> she hates it so much. I don't like it, but I don't have deep, this deeply deserved enmity for it. <laughs> I just, I resent, I dislike. And now we've got girl boss Cruella DeVille. Because Disney's so mad. <laughs> They're just so bad they don't have those rights. Yeah. And it will never not be funny. But yeah, uh, Return to Oz is good. I feel that's not a controversial statement that a lot of people have made. Yeah, and so then at the end, Dorothy goes back in triumph with her friends to Oz and everybody's turned from not being stone Mm -hmm. back into people. And Ozma promises to look in at her every day at a certain time, four o'clock, I believe it is. And Dorothy's aunt and uncle have managed to rebuild the house she is not alone and it is very like the ending of labyrinth <laughs> should, should you need us yeah then warms my heart and the movie is good yeah whereas in the book uh she got back finished the trip to australia and then on the way home from australia fell into a crack in the earth with a boy named jeb and the wizard and his nine tiny piglets and her kid in eureka and also and traveled through the earth to get to Oz. Of course. And then later on, she ends up on the Rainbow Road to Oz, and finally she just moves there. Because at this point, yeah. you can't go outside your house without <laughs> ending up in Oz. Uh-huh. Might as well just save the commute. Right? But yeah, Belina stays in Oz as a fated hero, as she deserves. As she deserves. She has saved the whole land. This beautiful and powerful chicken. And uh, TikTok gets shined up just like a droid. There are strong (laughs) end of New Hope vibes to that scene, (laughs) which have to be on purpose because George Lucas. Uh, It's an homage. No, no, that's what an actual homage looks like. (laughs) I need to uh, remind you that Nicole Williamson played played Sherlock Holmes in a very specific iteration. This is going to make me angry, isn't it? 
Oh, this is that movie you hate. I have no strong feelings on this fanfic. <laughs> no, I don't hate the 7% solution, but it is very much Nicholas Meyer, the Wrath of Khan guys, Sherlock Holmes fanfic. I like that he just swapped out a different mystery for the movie version of his fanfic from the book version. Just a totally different mystery. <laughs> All right, we because took this title and... Uh... Because the point of the fanfic is to make Sherlock Holmes heterosexual and really play around with RPF and um, and his cocaine addiction. Mm. Yeah, Freud is there. Of course Freud is there. So but the RPF is with Freud then? No. Oh. Because again, Sherlock Holmes is heterosexual now. Lol. Yes, lol. <laughs> but yeah, it is amusing to me just to, to be like, hi, Nicole Williamson, here you are in another weird adaptation. <laughs> And just that connection to Nicholas Meyer, as well as to George Lucas. It's a very small... Uh, and that is 100 episodes. We did it. We did. It's been a weird trip. I shouldn't talk like we're ending the podcast. We're not. It's no, just, no, you no. know, we, we made it to 100 episodes. But, like, it's been weird. I feel like some of our earliest episodes are not listenable. yeah. For real, some of our earliest stuff is just downright wretched because we were figuring it out. I, I know we've got some folks who've stuck with us the entire time, and thank you. It really warms our hearts. <laughs> we've got the Patreon going, which we're trying, we're still figuring out how to write that ship. Yeah, I, I do want to apologize to the people who who have been waiting on their bonus episodes. We are trying to get those out, and if you've felt the need to reduce or delete your pledge... In the past few months, that's understandable, both because we weren't fulfilling and also because this is a terrible time. Mm -hmm. So we totally get it. And we do not depend on the pledges from Patreon to survive. Like we've said, it's something that helps us pay things like hosting costs and get materials. And, and that we kind do of appreciate thing. it. But... Yeah. But we are not going to starve to death if folks need to retract pledges for whatever reason. Yeah. Including the fact that we just... We behind. haven't been able to get yeah. your expected rewards out. We apologize for that. But yeah, we're looking forward to 2021. We've got some exciting stuff. We're recovering from COVID slowly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I don't know. I enjoy doing this with you. Yeah. I really enjoy having this opportunity to just kind of geek out about things and talk about such a wide variety of different stuff. Both. Things we like to share with others and the things folks ask us to cover. You know, it's both a fun sharing opportunity and an and like the chance to stretch our own faculties, yeah. as it were. I don't know. That's nice. I, I like that, you know, not that I would say no to more listeners, but I, I kind of like having a small audience that we can interface with more directly in some ways. Yeah. And so thank you, all of you. We love you and the sentimental things like that. <laughs> you know whatnot. All right, I've uh, I've sort oh, of no. hit peak for my uh, oh no they're they're for my ability to emote. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, you're uh, you're becoming to... too masculine for all that squidgy feeling. <laughs> my Midwestern masculinity. <laughs> it's hilarious when when they get on the phone with their dad. It's just like a series of grunts <laughs> calling me out for the entire <laughs> internet. <laughs> series of grunts and a couple questions about the dogs. You can convey a lot of emotion for another person by asking them about their dog. <laughs> it's a subtle art. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for a hundred episodes or for however long you've been around. We care about you all. If you liked this episode and want to check out more from us, you can find us by searching for Trash and Treasures on SoundCloud or your podcatcher of choice. If you wanted to leave us a five-star rating or review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps folks to find us because of algorithm magic. You can also find our Patreon at patreon.com slash trashandtreasures. We do have five or six bonus episodes up in addition to the ones we're working to get out to you. And we also have Dorothy's recipe book, which is exciting and good to read. <laughs> I do drink recipes for each of the drunk book clubs we do. I also include uh, non-alcoholic versions of all of them because for whatever reason, you may not want to have alcohol at any given time. Mm-hmm. Or you can email us at trashtreasurespod 
at gmail.com where we love to get email. You know, if you have something you want to tell us that does not fit within a more truncated social media format, we're on Tumblr, trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com, or we are on Twitter at trashpod. Give us a uh, hello. We'll give you a shout out on the show. I wanted to shout uh, out at femfujo1094, uh, who's an acquaintance, who gave us a useful correction on the Valentine's Day episode that I had forgotten, which is that the uh, the heat level as a distinction between Yaoi and BL is sort of more of a Western uh, marketing thing. In Japan, it's actually more of a denomination between fan or professionally produced work. BL is professional. Yaoi is like stuff you'd get at doujins and right. right. That is my misremembering. I'm pretty sure she specifically has told me that in the past. And I dropped that ball. Yeah. Well, and I I always have a tendency to very much contextualize things based on how the Western marketing was operating at the time when I was really getting into anime. So mm. I would have also not picked up on that distinction. This is why we value reader feedback, listener. One of those. That. <laughs> you know, the thing, the people, the people on the internet, in the internet box. Yeah. So thank you so much. Oh, next time is a commission episode. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I'll let that be a surprise. That's going to be, that one's going to be a challenge just to find something that people haven't already said, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Should be really interesting. I had to change, we, we changed them recently, just costs changed a little just based on what it takes, what it goes into putting an episode together. But if you would like to commission us to do an episode, there is info on our Patreon. Otherwise, look forward to next time. And... Here's to another hundred, fingers crossed. Yeah. Take care of yourselves out there. Thank y'all. See ya.